Guys, welcome to the Last Set Podcast today. I am joined by Jacob Harris, a strength coach at Smith Fitness, creator and host of his own podcast, the Porter Potty Podcast, which is available on Spotify and SoundCloud. Link will be in the description. Jacob, welcome, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. No worries, man. So I've been podcasting now for nearly two years and never have I ever actually come across someone who's got the name the Porter Potty Podcast. So let's start with that. How did you even first come up with that? Uh, I mean, for me, man, like uh, it wasn't my first choice. So it actually happened because um, I well, just adjust that. I um, I went with I wanted potty mouth for a bit. Like, <laughs> I, I really liked the way that sounded, and then I looked into it, and it turned out that there was quite a successful one that already had that name. And I was spewing. I was kind of stumped, like because it came to me real quick, and I was like, "That's it." Mm-hmm. And then it kind of got to a point where. I live my life a little bit uh, different than maybe most people. I don't really have like a base. So I tend to, I kind of have somewhere where I live, but mostly I just kind of live out of my car and just kind of do my thing. Really? Um, yeah. So it's kind of like I sort of stay at friends' houses and then I'll, I'll live somewhere for a little bit and then I'll move to here. And um, so for me, I kind of got to a point where I was like, oh, I can't really say like, this is where I'm going to do something. And then I was like, well, if I'm doing the podcast in a bunch of different places all the time, and sometimes I'll be speaking to people in different countries. The porta potty kind of came to my mind because it was like, oh yeah, it's it's kind of portable. I'm sort of doing it wherever, and and I've done that. I've done podcasts in my living room. I've done them um, in cars. I've done them in rooms and stuff like that. And that became my thing because like even the setup you've got here is amazing, and I would have loved this. And it's probably actually a lot more practical than I thought, but. At the time, I was like, I'm just going to do it wherever, and then it doesn't limit people. Like if someone's like, ah. Oh, you're two hours away. Like I can't really make the trip. I'll just go to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that kind of just kind of, I guess where the name came from. And then also um, I kind of had the the art, the artwork in my head and I hit up a guy from, uh, he was like running, he's like artwork um, out of somewhere on um, Fiverr. Mm. And I sort of said, Oh look, I've got this idea. And I, and I got my friend to like take a photo of me on the toilet <laughs> with a mic and they sent it to him and he sent it back to me. And I was like, that's cool. I like that. Mm. Um, and that's pretty much how it happened, man. So have you ever done a podcast inside a porta potty? So I haven't, but the goal is to yes, do that. Um, <laughs> and funnily enough, I ended up working, I work, I work a couple of jobs, but one of the ones I do now is I work, um, like on a mine site now, um, on like the blast crew. So oh. I'm, and so I'm actually, I use a porta potty like all the time now. And so there's a couple of times where I've sort of thought like, you know what, like I, I, I think it'd be cool to one day have a setup where you've almost got like kind of that uh, theme, you know what I mean? Like a room with that theme and I don't know how I'd do it, but it'd be cool. I think I got an idea how you could do it though. So you get a table, much like this one, but instead of chairs, they're toilets. Yeah, that's yeah. The, even, the, but like comf- comfortable toilets. Yeah, comfortable <laughs> toilet chairs. And then the whole, like, you know, we're inside like a little, we're inside this room right now, mm. shape it so it's actual like a potty, porta potty. The that, plastic doors, plastic yeah. frames, and then, you know, there's a flush sign on the side and all that, or don't come in, I'm taking a shit. Or <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good idea, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to play with it. One day, anyway. Oh, yeah. One day, man. So you're working as part of the Blast Crew for FIFO. When did that start? Uh, a couple of months ago. So I just sort of got to a point where it, money just became more of an issue than I wanted it to be. Wanted it to be all of a sudden, and I kind of thought um, I need to find something that allows me to still coach, still do this sort of thing, um, and like a fifty-hour-a-week Monday to Friday job is gonna get in the way. Um, so I looked into a few things, and then this was this one came up. So I, I run like a sportsman's roster. So it's 
you know, to, to, to make it simple, um, it's kind of just like um, 14 days a month and it kind of runs in like fives and fours. So I have, you know, a lot of the time, like I have four days off at the moment, then I'll be back on for five, but then I'll have five days off. Oh. So it, it kind of works in a way that it allows me to do this. I think any other job, just having the weekend off, you know yourself sometimes organizing podcasts with people and stuff can be hard enough. Mm. If I only had two days to do that and it didn't suit someone, it just would have made it a lot harder. Correct. So, correct. Yeah. yeah. Because when it comes to, we can get into this as well, but when it comes to coaching, like it, when you're running the business, especially in the world of PT and, and you know, with COVID and everything we're going on right now, it's, it's become increasingly more difficult than ever. I mean, and it's an incredibly saturated market. And you do a bit of online coaching yourself, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and when that market is even more oversaturated, it's gotten to a point now where a lot of PTs that I've spoken to, they all have other jobs outside of the gym. And it's because it's just also that not enough because they say you have a certain amount of clients and now someone's getting COVID or, you know, they have to pay the bills and the tra- trainers charge a certain amount of money an hour and if they're living on their own and then the client can't show, it's just a whole range of factors. So that is something that you've, I feel like a lot of PTs, dis- they get discouraged mm. a lot and that's when they tend to turn away because like this business is always the people who stay in it, obviously are the ones who eventually make it in the end. Um, so anyway, back to the, Potty Potty Podcast, before we get into the whole, you know, background and all that. When, how long have you been doing this for, by the way? So I think I started it, I would have started it, it's been going for longer than I think, to be honest. Like, I always kind of remember and then I'm like, oh, that's why. So I think I started it the first kind of round of COVID that we had when we went into lockdown. And I was like, I remember I was like, I was like drinking, <laughs> drinking bourbons and like, to, and, do, and talking to people over Zoom and stuff. And I only did about two or three of them. And then the guy that I work with um, at, at the gym that I'm at, he runs his own podcast and I wanted to get a bit more involved in that. And then he actually, at the time, I probably didn't see it as a good thing, um, but then it ended up kind of pushing me to do my own thing because what he sort of said is I said, oh, I'd love to get more involved in what you do. And he goes, well, why don't you go and start your own one? And I was kind of a bit like, oh, okay, like, you know, maybe. And then I did a couple of those things. And then he said to me, he goes, well, why don't you just rip the audio from what you've just done? They're like Instagram lives. They're your first couple of episodes. And I was like, oh, doesn't, you know, sometimes in life we can be real perfectionists. We're like, oh, no, I want it to be, like, really good. And he went, you don't need that. You know, you don't need that. He goes, just just rip it and make them your first couple. And I went, all right. So we did that. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to do quite a few of these. And then I think it was around the time – I spoke to quite a few people um, that I really enjoyed, enjoyed talking to, but it was around the time I think – so it would have started March, maybe 2020 – about that yeah. and then not long after that I ended up speaking to uh, a guy named Vlad Alahoff mm-hmm. and he's the one that, that has like the squat world record really? um, yeah so he squatted like 525 kilos in wraps wow. um, and that was once I did that like I got a, I got quite a few people hitting me up like man like you're actually doing really well with this this is awesome and I and and that made me realize because he was so nice too. As soon as I spoke to him, he was just like, yeah, mate, yeah, let, let's do one. And it was such a great conversation. And it made me go, I'm not really just talking to friends here. Like I can probably just speak to anyone. And you know yourself, like at first you start off, you know, talking to people and kind of thinking like, oh, this this person's probably too busy or whatever. Then you speak to people and you think like, oh, wow, like people are really open-minded to come and do this. Mm. Um, and so it just kind of went on from there, man. And, and because it, that's why I've got the mask on. Because funnily enough, when we were doing the artwork, he was trying to, he wouldn't get my face right. Couldn't get my face right. Every time he tried to 
um, adjust like my smile. It looked weird. And I just said to him, why don't you just chuck a mask on me? Because that's when the porta potty kind of started. And then that was my thought process as well is because no matter how much COVID affects it, we can always just do Zoom. Shit. So, yeah. Well, that's good because well, when – I mean, you pretty much – you've actually been doing this longer than I have actually. So we okay. started just after COVID. So the story was me and my best friend, uh, we met in uni and all that, and we spoke about this for years. Like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to name it. And then it just got kept getting put off and put off. But almost every conversation we had, we said, this is what we're going to do. And then finally, when COVID came around, it gave us, it gave everyone time to think. Mm. If if it means, if COVID, if any positive came out of COVID, it gave people isolation. It gave people time to think about what they really wanted to do. And that was what came. And then this podcast came eventually as a result. And when you start any, when you start anything, you're never going to be good at it the very first time. But what's important is that you start it. And it's the same thing I tell with like people who start podcasts, just go for it. It does not have to be inside a room like this. It doesn't have to be with like crazy expensive equipment. All you have to do is just spend a couple hundred dollars on a microphone, make sure you've got the right software on your laptop, which is free. And then just be willing to wait and apply yourself because over time, the more you do, the better really. Um, mm. So how many episodes have you done right now at the moment? So I think I'm up to, we just did one yesterday that was a swap cast. So I did that with the Smith's Fitness Podcast. So we did it together because we recapped a powerlifting comp that we did on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually what I had written down as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the first one we'd ever done at the gym. So we, re- we recapped that with one of the other coaches and that was – I've called it 61.5 because it's not really in mine. I kind of shared it with, with AJ. So um, technically 62, episode 62 will be tomorrow or the next day. That's yeah. where I'm at at the moment, yeah. Yeah, so tell me about what happened with the uh, comp over the weekend. So we, we had been sort of talking about it for quite some time and then decided that we were going to run one. Um, I'd, I come up here – well really bad with like where we're at I, I go up to to Rushi's a lot mm-hmm. um to where that where they run comps I've had a lot, uh, quite a few people compete there and things like that um but there's not a lot south of the river so th- there's a few but we, we sort of decided why don't we run one and so we chucked one together um and we had about 30 30 35 competitors um I had four four clients myself but I was also head refing so I couldn't really coach them on the day but I sort of found a way around it um, a couple of the, we had a couple other coaches come in and they were, um, they had a couple of clients like all around. It was just, it was just like a really good comp man. And to be honest, like it was considering, like you said, the first time you do anything, you never normally do it that well. It ran really smoothly. And we kind of all afterwards sort of sat back and were like, wow, like we didn't find a way to screw that up. Like there was no real issues. Um, and so for us, that was kind of the only goal we were like if we can get through this without screwing it up then then it's like a green light to be like oh we can do more mm. um and so it all went really well um and we had we had some pretty uh good lifters there as well we had a couple of crazy juniors like some uh it was like a 16 year old there who weighed like 67.1 kilos or something and he um he deadlifted 200 jesus christ yeah that's yeah. that's more than me. That's, yeah. that's more than I can do. Uh, I'm open. I'm very open about that. You know, yeah. strength training for me is definitely not my niche or something, but it's something that I'm slowly trying to dive into. Mm. Uh, mainly because I tend to go into more of the fighting side of things. I do BJJ and all that, and you know, don't like to. When it comes to powerlifting, it's a 
one thing that's so committed that I love about it is how committed they become into everything. Like when it comes to learning about technique, when it comes about nutrition, sleep, so much like goes into it. Mm. And one thing I can also say was when it goes to powerlifting meets that I've been to, I've been to a few, the best thing about them is that they are the most uplifting environment I've ever seen. Like everyone's yelling at each other. Everyone's trying to hype each other up, you know, there's lots of back slapping and congratulating and cheering when you make a lift, you know, it's much different to when I've been to a bodybuilding competition where everyone's just quiet backstage, slowly judging each other and all that up against each other. It's just, it's a very, very different environment. So when I say, but the best thing also about love about powerlifting is that it's, um, well, well, what's a, what's a, what's the way to put it is that it's a very, very open and uh, welcoming environment. Mm. So it can people from all walks of life, you know, all ages, all weights, you know, everyone's trying to do the same thing, pick as much bar weight on the bar as they can. Whereas sometimes the bodybuilding, it's more like a, a beauty competition. It's like, I'm look better than you. Like oh, I look better than you. It's purely subjective. Yeah. But yeah. when it comes to powerlifting, it's almost entirely objective. Yeah. Uh, now, how long have you been training yourself for? Oh man, I think about it sometimes. It's hard to like really pinpoint. I think, mm-hmm. I think probably, I think it, it's probably just around that five year mark. You know, for me, I, I trained like calisthenics, um, kind of slash, just cross training. You could call it for probably two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent like the the better part of my life, like the the probably twenty four years of my life, um, at about seventy kilos. So that was that's just where I've been my entire life. And then um, I, I rocked up at Smiths, signed up like the day I, I went there. Loved the environment. Um, and then over like a period of like a year and a half, I started powerlifting, um, but you would call it more power building. So I sort of was doing the, the lifts, but then doing a lot of bodybuilding and, um, yeah, just ate like anywhere from like five to 7,000 calories a day and got to like one ten. Um, and then just kind of slowly come back a little bit from there in the last year. So like, that's kind of the extent of how I went about it over that five year period. Oh, so you've been training for just over five years? Yeah, I, I'd say, I th- I'm trying to think, what are we, 2022? So I think I started like 2017, but like at the end of it. And then I'd say like, once again, it was, you know, we all spend that kind of first six months to a year, like sort of training, but like not really. Like I did a lot of like running and stuff. So it's like, I wouldn't say, I guess I took weight training seriously until probably the last three years. Yeah. yeah. You, you learn slowly as you go pretty much. When Yeah. Yeah. That's how I started running essentially. Like I, I just one day, um, I just felt really unhealthy and stuff. And one day I just started running and I lived in Harvey at the time. Um, and where, so where is Harvey? So it's like, uh, it's near Bunbury. Yeah. 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 My geography is awful. Yeah. But keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine too. Yeah. But it's that, that was, it's just a really big open place that I could get some good runs in. So I started running every day. Um, and then, and then obviously then came like the push ups and pull ups and stuff. And then, then I decided that I wanted to become a PT and then because I learned more about it, you know, I, I realized like what I was going to have to do to actually get the result I was after. Like that stuff was good. Um, but I, I realized that like lifting had more to do with it. And I met a PT at the gym I was at who now works at Smith's. So he kind of referred me to there. And then obviously it was kind of the rest is history from there, man. Like we, we have a lot of powerlifters there, um, and there's a lot. Like you said, there's a lot of that environment. So as soon as I kind of came in, this sort of skinny little kid, and I was sort of like, I want to get big and get strong, and everyone was like, Let's do it. Yeah. So 
So it wasn't like West Side Barbell style, <laughs> like, nah, man, get the fuck out. Yeah, uh, to be honest, like, you, what gym do you train at? Uh, UFC. Well, what I do right now is obviously I'm a coach at UFC gym and I train there sometimes. I do, obviously, I do my BJJ there. Uh, but right now, I train, just train at Revo because, you know, I live all the way in Alchemist with my girlfriend. It takes 40 minutes for me to drive to work in the mornings. And what's the point of driving all the way there? And recently, like, for me, the, the gym where I work at, it's work. It's not like, to me, it's not like a gym, you know. And then one one day someone said this to me, you know who I'm listening, don't shit where you eat. Mm. And that's when I felt like, because I felt like my motivation was just dying at the gym because, you know, I'm there already 12 hours a day coaching people. It's so hard to also train there. So that's why I train at Revo because there's so many. It's cheap, not bagging on them. And obviously there's one close to where I live, so I don't have to drive all the way to Balcata, yeah. Yeah, I've not trained at a Revo, but they're obviously, you know, like commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, where, yeah, so like our, Smith's is, I, I don't know, you sort of, maybe one day we'll do we'll do one down there, man, and you'll see. It's very, um, it, it, it doesn't, it's not West Side, you know, I don't think anything was quite what it was like, but we. Um, so no bands and chains? Oh, there's lots of bands and chains. Yeah. Okay. No, nah, there is that <laughs> sort of stuff. We've got uh, like two monoliths there, so we just set them up the other day. We already had them, but we've like now set up the area a bit better. Um, and yeah, man, there's, there's old, old clanged weights, you know what I mean? Nice. Like it's, it's not, it's not, it's not that it's dirty. It's just, it's, it's a vibe. Like I would compare it to like, um, like Metroflex, if you Ooh. ever remember that kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how long have you been coaching for then? Uh, I think it's probably worked out to probably be about six years, possibly seven. Like I sort of started coaching before I took training seriously. Like I, I, I was like learning about it. Um, but like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest, man. Like I started coaching before I was qualified. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Because one you've, now that you've been doing it for established that long, mm-hmm. one thing I always tell people is you like, it's a, it's a business where you, the more you stay in it, the more you're going to get out of it. Because with, when it comes to health and fitness, there's so much, uh, what is it? There's it's a it's pretty much a rabbit hole, mm. and not even that. But you also have to is it you have to also expand yourself as much as you can, or you just have to pick and choose which pieces of information you offer you. And when it comes to like overall health, there's so many aspects into it. Like you know, there's nutrition, and there's your training, there's your type of training, and then it comes to sleep, recovery, and then it comes to supplementation, and then it comes to rehabs and biomechanics it's just there's so much that goes into it mm. and then what i tell people is if you try and put all your uh if you try and turn spread yourself out as thin as you can or over a whole bunch of things then you're pretty much going to be it's going to be very very hard to grab clients whereas you become more of like a specialist like say for you just do strength training and you focus on that then it's so much easier for people to come to you because you know that you focus on that thing one thing really really well uh so what do you like look for in your clients? Do you mainly just focus on gem pulp or are you looking for people who are mainly focusing on towards powerlifting? Yeah, so this is, I guess it's a bit of a hard a hard one for me to like always define exactly what I do because I would just say that I seem to always work with just kind of a variety of people that have that have different goals, but it just seems to be my approach that's the same. So for me, like I think that I try to deliver any kind of result to, to, to someone without it feeling largely inconvenient. So probably the only people I don't train would be like high-end athletes because to me 
Um, I like I like essentially teaching someone to become independent with their training and understand it to a level that they can do it um, kind of n- no matter what is going on in their life because I found that a lot of that when I started was the issue. It was people – it didn't matter how much information I had or what I knew or how I could help someone or what I could teach them that ultimately if it was structured the wrong way and it didn't work for them, I couldn't do my job really. I couldn't do it well because I could I could still try but they wouldn't really be able to do it because that didn't work for them. So for me when it comes to like what do I look for in a client, like I just look for someone who essentially has the attitude of like – I'm going to try and I'm I'm going to try and help them and so obviously that they want me to help them and then let's try and structure it in a way that helps you. So I might have a client who has injuries and so for them rather than going oh look I I want you to do this routine every single day or something for example if that's what someone would do I speak to them and say well how many how many times do you want to train a week and they're like oh well this many and I'm like okay well you know, what do you do for a living? I do this for a living. Oh, okay, well, what we might do is on these days, I'll get you to do this. And then on these days, I'll get you to do this. And then if they say, oh, well, nutrition-wise, I really struggle with this. Um, but, and because I'm injured and I can't move around as much, I, I might need to do something that's a little bit more convenient for me. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing at the moment? And then they say that and they go, well, okay, well, what you could do is instead of that is we could try this. We could do this routine on this day and let's give that a go. And then I'll run it over a small period of time and then get feedback from them and go, well, how did that work? And they'll go, I found this part easy, but this part I struggled with. And so it's kind of like a constant um, collaboration. So rather than just feeling like I'm coaching someone and strictly telling them what to do, like I already know all the answers – I really, really thrive off the feedback from them. If, if, if they're not enjoying it or they're not doing whatever, you know, I, I've also gotten people to a point mentally where they may have said, I want this as a result. And in the end, we've gotten to a point where they've accepted that that result is not achievable because it, what the method that they will need to use to achieve that result does not coincide with how they live their life. And so I've helped them get to a point where they've accepted that and understood that they're now headed towards a different result and they're in a lot. They're in a way better uh, health mentally and physically because they're not trying to achieve something that doesn't work for them personally. So I, I found that that was a big thing for me because otherwise I worked in group class for years, and and the amount of questions that you get from what do I eat and how many exercises should I do for this and should I do that, and you just get to a point where you realise that everyone is so dramatically different that it's it's it got to a point where the group class stuff sort of stopped working for me because I was like, I don't actually feel like I can help any of you. I feel like all I'm doing is just continuing. I'm just keeping you in this flow, this cycle of just you trying to lose weight, then getting sick or getting stressed out from work and then it's not happening or whatever. We need to approach things differently. Mm. Um, so that, that's kind of how it works, man. To me, I, I work with clients kind of like we're – kind of like we're almost on like a friend level and I'm trying to help them um, live a, a healthy and and kind of like enjoyable life and still get what they want out of it but in a way that isn't going to damage them mentally or physically just to like look better or be stronger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't give a shit how much you can deadlift if your back hurts like three out of five days. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's stop your back hurting. And then if you want to deadlift, we'll talk about that later. But that is absolutely not the number. Like, you might think it's your number one goal, but I'm going to help you understand why it isn't, mm. you know? That's, that's, that's a fair point. So that obviously goes to show how well you know your industry and all that. In your, like, six years of coaching, uh, 
how uh, what I was going to say was what was if you could go back, you know, when you first started, like what advice would you give yourself for then? It's always the one I guess I'm thinking. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a good question. I would probably say that it would be um, focus on performance over aesthetics and you'll be surprised how happy you are with the result that you get in terms of aesthetics. Like I would say that as soon as I start stopped focusing just on what I look like and focused more on being stronger and fitter, I started looking a hell of a lot better than when I was focused on it. Mm -hmm. And it was because ultimately you will always be more dedicated to performance and like the way that you feel as opposed to the way that you look. Because once again, just like what you said before, the way that you look is subjective. Yeah. The way that you feel isn't subjective. If you feel like shit, you feel like shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you feel good, you feel good. So if you're if you're sleeping well and you're eating well and you're and you're adhering to your training program and you're feeling strong and enjoying it, chances are you're probably gonna look better without having to even really think about it. Do you believe that that's something that the general population gets way too caught up on? Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand it because I did too. But it's... Same. Yeah, it's it's hard, man. Like yeah. you want to look better. So the next question I would definitely then lead to is because we're both on the same page in terms of like performance. How do you take someone who has, uh, you know, they're all worried about the aesthetics, you know, they want the six pack, you know, the big butt, they want the big biceps. How do you take that and then to focusing them on performance? I mean, for me, like I would probably try to show them examples of people that that look that way that don't train that way mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's a lot of there's a lot of powerlifters that don't train that way that that look incredible mm-hmm. um and you know same goes with crossfit athletes and and anyone that does that kind of training i use those sorts of examples a lot with clients you know like because i've used it in the reverse way so i've used it with women before trained a, a lot of women um, probably more so over over uh, men and they would say things like oh, i don't want to get too big or you know something like that so all it takes is to you know show them a video of someone i i, I spoke to on the podcast actually like someone like heather connor from the from the ipf who's like 47 kilos who's deadlift he's deadlifted like 200 kilos at that weight you know what i mean <laughs> to, to prove that like obviously her goal isn't to be massive either she and so so she so she's avoided it she's eaten in a way and trained in a way that won't create that result so it it helps uh, helps them understand that so it's it's to show people look just let's do a four let's do four weeks together let me let me let me structure something in a certain way and just and just listen to, to listen to it and and let's try and try this out and tell me how you feel at the end of it you know what i mean like let's stop doing you know, six sets of 10 bicep curls every two and a, you know, two days. And like, let me chuck some, some things in there that you probably haven't done before. And let's try this. And you can see at the end what I'm talking about, you know, like it's, it's definitely very hard to change that mindset, but unless I think there's no way around it other than just hopefully getting someone who's open-minded enough to at least try to give you a little bit of their time to show them that it's different because yeah, as you know yourself, man, like more is not always better. And in Correct. most cases, it's not at all. It's not. It's yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. I found out these days that some people, it's also in respect to what it is that you do, but 
you know, uh, people who have been training for quite some time, you find out that they don't train as much really now. And then back to compared to back then, because obviously, you know, one thing the athletes always about is train, you must recover as hard as you train, if not harder. And that's what allows you to, you know, go those extra miles. But one thing I thought was really well that you, you spoke about the whole, you know, transitioning people to that performance mindset. And one thing that I was sort of, I had shared in common with that, but is that we get too caught up in what we look like, you know, because of like, you know, things like Instagram, because of things like, you know, you know, movies and TV shows and blah, blah, blah. But the best method of one of the, well, one of the methods, and this is quite controversial as well compared to some coaches I spoke to, is that one thing I do not focus on when it comes to my clients is progress picks. I most, I do use them, but most of the time I almost never post, post them or most of the time I just, I make sure they have a very strong distance in between. And one thing I care about the most when I see my check-ins is what weights were we doing this week in the gym? And if they start to feel a bit unmotivated, I'll be like, well, if you think about it, when you started the first week with me, you could only do, let's say you could barely do a five on each side when it came to a deadlift. Now you're doing more than 50 on each side into a deadlift. Maybe you don't feel like it's looking that way in the mirror, but the bar is, the bar doesn't lie. You know what I mean? And you can manipulate your body in a way. You know, if you don't eat for six hours, take a, sorry, take a photo of yourself. Don't eat for eight hours, take another photo of yourself. For some people, there is definitely some change. For some people, there's not change. So sometimes the body, I mean, I'm not an expert when it comes to that sort of stuff, but that's the way I tell people. And, you know, there's things like lighting, there's things like time of the day and how much water you had and food and what you ate. So, but the bar will never lie to you. A man in Candela fit 50 kilos, 50 kilos, 50 kilos. You know, it's the same. Uh, and that's always one thing I tell people to focus on. And the next thing is moving pain-free. You know, uh, when I came into this, uh, being a PT, I feel like most people generally do have an injury of some sort or an imbalance of some sort or, you know, somewhere where it's pinching or nerving or lack of range of motion. If you get them just moving better and moving pain-free, then that's progress on its own. Uh, anyway, so... Moving on from that, man. Now, I wanted to actually kind of get more into the powerlifting side of things. Yep. So now that you've been training for quite some time, you've been coaching for quite some time, and now powerlifting, it consists of the big three, you know, deadlift, squat, and bench. So I just wanted to sort of like unpack those more and get into the more of the technical side. So let's start with uh, deadlifting, man. So what would you say is the three most common mistakes you see with deadlifting and how would you correct them? Yeah, I mean, so it depends... <clears throat> I guess it's a little bit harder now to not cut it into two pieces because something like sumo deadlifting is becoming so popular. Yeah, what do you think that is? I mean, I'm a sumo deadlifter myself, so. Yeah, to be honest, I think there's there's multiple reasons for it. I think curiosity is the biggest one. I think people see other people do it and go, I want to try that. And then I think because it is a lot more uh, glute and quad dominant and takes a, you know a fair amount of the posterior chain out of the equation – um, I think people, I think people try it, and it can, on the surface, make you go. I feel like I'm using my back less, and that feels better. And I think a lot of people try that. One of the issues I do find with that is that people tend to still try and do it similar to a conventional. Where I, I will say that one thing I learnt pretty quickly about it is that. It's a lot more technical than a conventional deadlift. Um, 
and it's a lot if your technique fails on a sumo deadlift you'll fail it most of the time yeah. whereas on a conventional deadlift I've seen some horrible pulls before oh. and people still manage to get through it because you can kind of muscle it up a little bit better. Mm. Um, a sumo deadlift, like if you if you don't go about it the right way, you will you will either fail the rep, um, like I said, or you will you will pretty much take out of the equation the advantage that you're using. So that's when you'll see people kind of like knee cave. Um, kind of almost slash conventional their sumo, which is you see a lot as well. So I'd probably say like with a conventional deadlift and a sumo deadlift to try to point them out at the same time, the biggest one that I, I've only just sort of started to really get my head around properly is the slack. Mm. So people don't pull the slack out of, out of their deadlift. Mm. It makes it a lot harder if you're using different bars. So say you're using like a power bar or like what people can refer to as like a stiff bar as opposed to like a Texas deadlift bar or something that we would use in competition um, because they have more slack in them. But ultimately most people think I'll set myself up and then because coaches will say things like bring the legs in and leg drive, people forget about the fact that they're pulling against something that's like essentially dead Mm. So if you manage to pull the slack out first, then bring your legs in and use leg drive, you will find that your speed off the floor, regardless of which variation that you're using, is much more significant. And that's probably where most people fail because as soon as you give a bunch of effort off the floor and it feels hard and it's moving slow, you'll notice a lot of people won't even get to their knees before they're like, no, nah, this is too heavy and they'll put it down. You know, it's very rare you'll see someone get halfway up their thighs and then go, oh, nah. Like, it does happen, but it's not as common. So I'd probably say slack pull being a big one. Number two would just be bracing. I think a lot of people have think they have an idea of bracing, but they, they don't really. Like, so obviously this is to do with creating, like, intra-abdominal pressure um, and essentially bracing your abs, your oblique, and your, lo- your obliques and your lower back, like, in that, in that area to... Um, to create rigidity so that you that you're essentially the most you're in the strongest position that you can you're not going to and you won't hurt yourself um, but a lot of people I think think they're doing it and and maybe aren't like a lot of people will sort of take heaps and heaps of air into their lungs or they'll you know try to like uh, push their stomach out completely um, and and things like that where they, they won't actually try and create um, they won't try to expand, essentially under under their rib cage when they're trying when you're trying to brace. You want it to have kind of an expanding feeling, um, where a lot of people I think just kind of think I'll take a really deep breath and then just and and hold everything and then lift. But the problem with that is um, your brace will come undone and then that will affect other things. So a conventional one's really obvious. If your brace starts to come undone, generally you'll see the upper back start to, to lose its um, position as well. And then you'll notice that people will start to not hinge properly. So you'll notice that they'll lose that nice hinge and they'll kind of get like that sort of um, tailbone tucky in kind of like a like a dog going to the toilet look. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll lose that kind of like glued involvement and they'll just kind of and then and then they'll get to a point where they're like i'm going to drop it now because i don't feel rigid um i don't think i've done a great job of explaining that but i tried um and then thirdly i'd probably just say that like even just maybe that in the sense that um people's um hinging pattern 
I would say that a lot of people conventional deadlift but don't actually – like if you were to get them to do an RDL um, and, and try to do it with like a nice tempo, good form and a decent amount of weight would struggle a lot more than they should given the weight that they might be trying to conventional deadlift. So people will spend a lot more time trying to conventional deadlift well um, but they won't actually be able to be very good at doing anything else. So you'll notice that people will struggle to do, say, like a bent over row or an RDL or something, and they'll say it's because, like, oh, when I'm in that position for too long, my back hurts, or I find it hard to stay in that position. And it's like, well, I would probably focus on those things then because that's going to carry over massively to the number one thing you're trying to focus on. So, yeah, that's probably it, man. So slack pull, bracing, and then people's just ability to hinge, which obviously comes in all different exercises too. Even just a hip thrust will teach you enough about it. Yeah. Do you have like a step-by-step pro- like step step process of what someone should go through before they touch uh, the bar, like for deadlifts? Yeah, so tip- typically it'll be like, let's get a kettlebell. Mm-hmm. I want to see you just like touch it with your hands. Um, I had someone that where I'm at now kind of like teach me that I had a client come in and she had like a rare lower back condition. And I was kind of like, I want to have a look at this. And he said, look, get her to put a kettlebell in between, you know, uh, in the middle of her feet, just like she's going to deadlift it, but then don't just get her to reach down and touch it and just have a look at how she does that. And so that was good because it showed that, yeah, I could have just put her on a barbell and she would have like probably lifted it. But the thing is, is when she went to try and hinge, she just, she couldn't because she never did because of her condition any time you know when when she probably originally got pain with it it was from hinging correctly um so even once her injury got better and she'd done a bunch of rehab and stuff she'd fallen out of actually hinging correctly because to her if she just bent her legs more and like kind of lent to the side she would avoid having pain so then what happened is then she actually regressed even more because she couldn't hinge properly because she was never doing it so then so i would get her to do that she touched the kettlebell all right look we're not even going to lift that let's focus on just trying to do that for a while so that's how i would start with someone then they might lift the kettlebell then we might lift a barbell um, with like a five bumper plate each side but the main thing being that like it would always come down to their experience so if it's someone that's green like they've never done anything that's the process. If it's someone who's like, oh, no, I've trained for two years and I've deadlifted, I'm usually pretty happy to be like, all right, well, let, let's chuck a 10 each side on a deadlift. Um, that usually I'll ask them what they've said they've done before. Oh, 120, all right, well, let's do five a side or 10 a side on a deadlift. Show, show me what you got. And I won't even cue them. I just want to see what they've been doing because I always find it's a lot easier to point things out. If I try and teach them and they've been doing it a different way for a whole year, it's a lot easier to just say, show me what you've been doing and then I can go, all right, now we'll change it. Yeah, it's also very hard to teach people what they think they already know. Yeah. That's one thing I found in my time. So with me, I've always it's a good it's a good topic what we're on because it's always something I've always believed that you should earn the bar. I don't never want to throw someone on the bar straight away. Yeah. So I have like a process where yeah, of course it would start with a kettlebell and I want to see how they hinge. I want to see how they can do an RDL with the kettlebell. You know, are they pushing their hips back, you know, hunching over. I want to check out their posture is okay do we need to work on some more face pulls we need to work on some more lat strength okay all right so there's that and then finally um i would see how they would go on a trap bar i had to spend a strong amount of time on a trap bar really before they even progress to the barbell mainly because it focuses more on using your hips rather than using your lower back and then when they finally make it onto the barbell it's a very slow but incremental 
uh, increase. And uh, that's always been the main thing because, you know, it's it, the deadlift it's, itself, you know, we can agree is a very, very controversial exercise for a lot of trainers because, you know, of what we talked about. Uh, so what you may have heard, you know, the risk to reward ratio obviously is quite high. So people will argue whenever it's an exercise that you should be doing and giving to clients for the sake of it rather than if it's something they actually want to do. Mm. Um, but for me, I've always been a big fan of it because it's full body. It's a full body left. It's full body functionality. So that's really the main argument that I have. Uh, so next up, moving on to is the bench. Now, me personally, I'm also someone who's kind of ch- who's kind of chasing a bit of a higher bench myself. So I also get a little bit more beneficiary out there. Uh, for someone who actually wants to, you know, increase their bench, rather than just, you know, benching, what should they be focusing on? Um, before, before, just quickly before I go into this, I will just say to make your last point about the, the trap bar, um, I, would, I would also say that most of my clients, if they have no interest in powerlifting, pretty much will, will never deadlift conventionally. Really? Yeah, okay. I, w- I will get them to, to RDL and do any kind of other hinge movements, but a conventional deadlift is not something I would put in a program for a gen pop person. There you go. There you so, go. Um, so, yeah, so the, in terms of the bench, um, bench is a funny one because you can you can get higher numbers if you're willing to use a technique that is more favoured in powerlifting, mm-hmm. but if you were using it to, say, you know, grow, grow size – which is like, you know, the two options of why people are using it. Um, I would probably just tell you to use some dumbbells because you're probably going to get a lot more out of that. I think like I grew some size using um, a barbell, but the problem is when you start to favor a technique to to, to lift more weight, um, you know, and, and we bring in things like leg drive or arching or something like that, which is ultimately what will get you a stronger bench you're going to use like it's going to be less favorable for hypertrophy. So if you just want to get a stronger bench, then uh, for me, man, like I usually I'm happy to get people to use a barbell straight away simply because like, you know, usually people can, can bench a barbell if they can't um, they usually don't want a stronger bench. (laughs) They won't even bring it up. So, but um, they will usually lay down and people set up, most of the time they'll set up wrong where they, they'll either set up too far ahead or too far back and things like that. So for me to keep it simple, I always go sort of eye level with the bar. Then I will usually, people will usually put their feet way out in front of them. I'm a fan of getting them closer to your hips. Not everyone has the mobility to do that. I have quite mobile, like quite um, sort of extensive mobility when it comes to that. Um, I'm a, I'm more of a fan of, of heels flat these days. So I still keep the heels flat. Um, and then a lot of the time, the, the biggest kind of, I guess, elephant in the room is just is thoracic extension. So a lot of people just don't have the ability to try to um, get that. And, and I've, I've kind of moved away from going like, put your shoulder blades together because a lot of times that actually doesn't help people. You know, I used to think, oh, let's go retraction and then, scapular retraction and and depression and then that's going to get us in the position we want to be in but i think that the, even because that's that's controversial too not everyone thinks that's what you should be doing but is that something that you think you should be doing or i i think so but i think to an extent like i think you can definitely overdo it and then it gets to a point where it will work as a disadvantage for you i would say it's more about i like the cue chest chest to the bar so when i set up 
I will generally unrack the bar. It will be out in front of me. And then from that position, I will further, as I get tight, bring my chest towards the bar. Like that's that's where that would happen. But I wouldn't say I even in my head think, oh, shoulder blades together. I think chest to bar because ultimately it's still creating a larger arch and you're still obviously retracting your shoulders because they're, they're back there, which is what you want for a good bench. But the biggest thing I would say from then on where people people struggle struggle is, is maintaining that tightness. So I would say that my bench was probably strongest when I didn't really touch and go. So I didn't do any touch and go. I just I would always do variations of, so a lot of pausing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also uh, like Larson presses, did a lot of like Larson presses as well. Um, and then... I actually, for me, one of my favorite variations was a slow eccentric slingshot press. So I would use it to overload so that people would be doing slow tempo reps with weights that were above their max. So then it got them used to, because we all know that obviously the resistance isn't really going to help too much with a slingshot until you're getting closer to your chest. So the first, even just the eccentric of it allows them to feel the weight. Um, and, and, and focus on maintaining tightness in the technique, it's not until they press it up that it's obviously going to be a bit harder. Um, so I w- I've found that with that, it really helped people get to a point where like I would have people come in who had never benched 50, who you know, a month or two later were benching 50 multiple times a week. And I have a, a client recently, she, she came to me before she could bench sort of 60 kilos, she benched 57 and a half in comp. And she benched 75 on the weekend and that's probably about a three to four month period. Wow. You know what I mean? And so, and obviously we know as females tend to progress slower than males as well when it comes to the bench press. Um, and that was simply because we did a few things. It was, all right, let's get this grip a little bit wider. I want you to try and focus on the, on the chest to bar call. We're going to have a look at leg drive a little bit more. We're going to slow things down a hell of a lot more. So I, I, I think that um, fast eccentrics, are very rarely a good thing. So there's no real reason to drop it to your chest. It's probably where most people go wrong. Um, If you can learn to control that and learn to control a good pause and maintain tightness, um, the press will be helped by other things. The press will be, you know, you know yourself, you would, you you can use other variations. Like I said, like the Larson press or like a dumbbell press, they're going to help you with your pressing. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of those things aren't going to help you with your ability to maintain tightness and to, and to control the weight. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you personally, because this is something of a method I use, I do a lot of work with the Swiss bar, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because, you know, I one thing that people, when it comes to benching, people tend to overload the shoulders a lot. You know, it's a big flaw in technique, it's a big flaw, people always get painful, painful shoulders. And I've always felt like if you get used to comfortably using the Swiss bar more and engaging your triceps, and actually focusing on how you actually engage your chest, especially the Swiss bar is a really good way to do that and getting to a more safer position. It's always been a really good way to spend, and that was one. Uh, and then, of course, yes, dumbbell benching and all that. Uh, the main thing I also wanted to ask you was, uh, I've always been a believer of uh, tricep strength plays a massive role in uh, benching. Uh, mainly because obviously it's involved in extension of the arm, you know, that's what it's for. And it's a muscle, obviously it's a muscle group that does help significantly, believe it, when, the, uh, when it comes to the actual bench itself. Is focusing on building tricep strength something that can really help or contribute towards your bench? Or what would you, what would your import be on that one? Yeah, I think it, this is where it gets a little bit hard with powerlifting in the sense that I think 
we're always looking for the golden accessory. You know, we're looking for that, oh, this exercise will help me get better at this. Mm. But unfortunately, I think it will always come down at, you know, at the end of the day, at, at really when, it, when we bring it all back to what we're trying to achieve um, to specificity. You know what I mean? A bench press is going to help you get better at bench pressing. I'm not saying that tricep training won't help. But once again, it would be something that if you were doing would still need to be more specific to a bench press. Are you are you going to see a significant difference by doing tricep pull downs? I I don't believe so. I don't believe that they would make a huge difference. Would you see a significance a difference by doing something like a dip or a close grip bench press? More than likely. I, I, I believe that they would definitely help. So Yes, the, the answer is yes, but not not all of them. It's kind of like saying doing lunges will help you get a better squat. Not it, yeah, it <laughs> sounds it sounds right yeah. because you're trying. Well, you, but you're, if you're going to get, you know, it's that old. If you get strong on one leg, you'll be stronger on two. Nah, not really. They're not specific enough. They're not specific at all to each other, really. When it comes down to what you're doing when you squat, yeah. So yeah, I would say that sort of yes, but only in certain cases. Uh, oh. oh. To, since we're on the topic of squat, before um, we get to wrap up with this, but I've always like saying when it comes to the actual because I'm still very touching base and learning more about strength as I go along, but I've always found like accessory bars to the specific uh, lift you want to get better at or access uh, or uh, variations of the lift have always been key. Mm. Like for example, deadlifting maybe focus. Obviously, technique is one thing, but maybe focus on variations to it. Like, you know, obviously, I say trap bar. Obviously, I say, you know, uh, block deadlifting, rack deadlifting, you know, uh, was uh, deficit deadlifting. All those can help with certain parts of the actual deadlift itself. Whereas also when it comes to squatting, maybe things like, you know, front squats, and safety bar squats, and, you know, a little bit more hack squats and trying different foot placement, you know. And obviously, we see a lot of elevated heel squats these days, you know. So that's mainly been my, my takeaway. Uh, so that's going to be the final question. I'm just going to ask you just before we get to wrap this up. Because uh, mainly it's something that I've just done. So I wanted to hear your thought. But how much do variations of the actual main lift itself play a role in uh, increasing you know, strength in, your, say, deadlifting or benching or squatting? It's quite broad, though, that question as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that it really, it once again comes down to, I guess, that first point of like it depends who it is. So like if you're, if you squat in a way where you're dominant in certain areas, then certain things will help you more. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, for instance, like do you high bar squat or low bar squat? Uh, I'm a high bar squatter. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do a fair amount of high bar squatting now but I was strongest and did mostly low bar squats. Yeah. Um, so I would say that will a front squat help your, help your low bar squat? Mm, I'm not sure that there's any real kind of thought process of mine at least where I could make sense of that in, yeah. in, in saying that it would. I kind of go, no. Right, because they're different from each other. And a low bar squat is you're using a lot more of a lot more of the posterior chain. It's not it's kind of the opposite sort of thing. Like not really, but in a way. So to me, I would go probably not in that case. Even then, is a front squat gonna help your high bar squat? Well, you can you can you can squat heavier on your high bar squat than you can when you front squat. 
So probably not. You know what I mean? Like your your high bar squatting is going to make you better at high bar squatting as opposed to the front squat because the front squats, you're not going to be able to overload them enough for them to really make too much of a difference, I think. you know. So to me, it would be more the variations would be a pause squat. That's going to help. That's going to help significantly and there's a, a, you know multiple reasons why that will help as opposed to just saying, oh, well, if I train this, you know, if, if I'm doing – if I had a program and that had a high bar squat in it, you wouldn't see a front squat and a safety bar squat in it as well. Mm-hmm. You would more than likely see a high bar squat and then possibly on one of the other days because I really would only squat twice a week. I probably wouldn't squat more than that. I found that to be the most effective. Would be a variation which would either be a pause squat or a slow eccentric high bar squat mm. because I find that they are more specific to what you're trying to get better at. Front squatting will ultimately make you better at front squatting. You know, you'll see a lot of people goblet squats were a thing for a while. You know what I mean? I'm going to goblet squat heaps and then I'll get a stronger squat while you're holding on to a 30 kilo dumbbell and you're trying to get better at a squat when you've already squatted 140. Mm. Probably not going to make a huge difference. I know it seems on the surface like it might, but overall it's not specific enough. So whereas, you know, even like you mentioned with deadlifts, I would, the only time I've used a trap bar deadlift to get a better deadlift it, it, it only had to do with overload. It only had to do with teaching people to hold on to more weight. I would not say that the movement pattern of a trap bar deadlift carries over at all to a conventional deadlift because they're so different. Mm. You know, a trap bar deadlift, you're going to use a lot more leg drive and you're in a way different position. I prefer a trap bar deadlift, even personally. I find them a lot more comfortable. Um, so I would say that that's, you, you know, you'll, you'll talk to any powerlifter and look at any program and you'll never see a trap bar deadlift in there if they're trying to improve their conventional or even their sumo. Um, whereas, you know, a bench press, same sort of thing. Like you would, I, I think things like a spodo press or um, the slow eccentric bench press or, you know, the Swiss bar to an extent, things like that. Or I do like the duffalo bar as well, the bent bar. Um, things like that help in the sense that they are more specific to what you're training once again. Um, so I think I think that's probably the takeaway from it as well is just to understand that like just because something trains the same muscle groups, you need to look at how much how much it's going to carry over to what you're trying to achieve. You know what I mean? That's like saying push-ups will make my bench stronger. It's not going to. It's the it's very very similar, almost the same, but not enough that it will actually you will see a significant difference which is which is why there's people out there that can do 100 push-ups in a row but would struggle to bench 100 kilos Mm -hmm. so yeah like i think variations and everything are good man i would just say that just remember that i guess power lifting specifically um, is always going to be about three lifts and ultimately you can't have a swiss bar on the day you've got to remember that ultimately whatever you can do on on the variations that are allowed in competition are what matters the only thing that i would say is that overload is underrated if you can use a trap bar deadlift or a swiss bar or um, anything that you're using and you can lift more on that variation than you can on say your conventional deadlift or your or, or your high bar squat or your bench press they will help you because you will you they will help you get used to using more weight and then also something like the spoto or the pause squat they will just help you refine the position that you're that you need to be in for those lifts in which case they are specific well thanks man appreciate that a lot clearing that up as well because that's you've actually very much changed my perspective Hmm. on how to approach strength training now for myself also for for my clients 
So, Jacob, before we let you go, man, uh, first of all, I want to say a big thank you. Mm-hmm. Out of all the podcasts that I've gotten, this one is probably the most one of the most heaviest information filled podcasts I've ever done. Uh, so, thank you to that. Uh, if any of my uh, followers, you know, they want to follow you or get in touch with you, where can they find you, man? So you can find me um, on Instagram. I probably need to get to a point where I change it uh, to like a, a business name, um, but it's just um, <laughs> there was a movie uh, from 2004 called Envy with Ben Stiller and Jack Black in it. I remember that movie. Uh, and they created a spray called Vaporize, which oh, like made the poo disappear. <laughs> so that's where my name is. It's so it's V A underscore poo underscore rise <laughs> on Instagram, um, or you can just look up Smith Fitness because I am a coach out of there. We are also on Instagram as well. Awesome. And where can they find the Porta Porta Potty podcast? So Porta Potty podcast is on SoundCloud and Spotify. It is the Porta Potty project um, because uh, I went with that over podcast for some reason. (laughs) Oh, cool. Well, thank you very much, Jacob. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it. All the best, man. Thank you very much for listening, guys. And that is game.